Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 14 Plans The thief was escorted past the soldiers that stood watch around the base of God's finger. He was eyed suspiciously as they marched through the citadel, past more guards and checkpoints, and finally out the wide archway in the imposing colonnaded frontage to the Sultan's city buildings. The state buildings housed scribes and officials, tax collectors hunched over ledgers and counted pennies into money chests. He cast a lingering backward glance as the cool of the marbled halls was left behind and the full scorch of the midday sun beat down on him. He coiled his headscarf around his face and scanned the crowds. Lines of people had formed outside the Sultan State complex as people queued for admittance, waiting to have their pleas heard to reduce their taxes or pay some portion late or to sue for the prosecution of a neighbour who had broken some local statute. Manu walked past them all and headed back down to the lower city. He'd been taught the different ways to walk and to stand, to move with commanding authority, shoulders back and chest out, head held high and meeting stairs full on, and not relinquishing the other's gaze until they looked down at the ground. This stature intimidated opponents or cowed victims. It was easily mastered by mimicking the motions of a seasoned warrior. The corollary of the warrior's stance was a victim's stance. Shoulders up, hands nervously playing together, nervously glancing around, quick short steps. This was excellent to lure out the predatory if you had to set a trap for them. Most important of all, the essence of his craft was a thief's stance. The thief's stance was much more subtle and harder to learn and master. You move beneath the pace of those around you. Fluid motions, no sudden jerks. Your mind was calm and always held the image of flowing water. You never walked towards someone, but always in curving vectors. Manu thought about the concentric circles radiating out from a stone cast into water, describing the thieves' orbit. With this stance, you slipped unnoticed through crowds, moved silently at night. You could hunt well in this manner, closing in on your prey, be they human or animal, unsuspecting, until the knife fell. Manu walked through the crowd, the image of ripples on a pond in his mind. He slipped past haggling shopkeepers, around a group of arguing drunks, 
past patrolling guards as he moved down the paths and stairs to the lower city. A pulse nagged in the back of his head, a rhythm that was wrong, an instrument out of tune. He could not see them, but they were there, following him, keeping their distance. Manu varied his steps, slower now in emptier streets, quickly between crowds that angrily pushed back at his intrusion. He turned a corner sharply into a narrow lane and broke into a sprint, hips complaining, still swollen from his bout on the rack. It was a bad choice. The lane ended up against one of the high walls that broke the city into smaller quarters. The houses loomed up on either side, overhanging the street. Nowhere to run. He turned and readied himself, forcing slow, deep breaths and calming his mind. Breath is life, his master had told him, the memory of the voice clear in his mind. Control your breathing and you control your body. Control your body and you control your opponent. A broad shadow fell across the open end of the lane. The chasing man landed with a few quick steps, then drew himself up, seeing the cornered thief. The giant black-bearded man, Simak's assistant. Thick fingers eased an Indian push-dagger out of its leather sheath on his thigh, and he grasped the horizontal hilt tightly, flexing his broad hand as a sidebar's anchored his grip. The triangular blade protruded for twelve inches past his knuckles. He advanced on the thief in slow cross steps, his weapon cocked like a one-armed boxer, crouching as he came. He had the coiled potential of a serpent before it strikes, trembling malevolence and terrifying grace for such a big man. The thief rolled his head to each side, shrugging to crack loudly as he limbered up. A one-sided fight, a big man with a gleaming katara against the slender, unarmed thief. Ever fought against a punch knife before, boy? Actually, yes. What you lose in range, you gain in impact power. Manu stamped forward, testing his opponent's nerve. The big man just sniffed. He took a short cross step to the side, then swung his fist forward, a straight punch with steel point of termination. Manu dodged, but the tip of the katara pierced his tunic and its edge ran across his flank, slicing him and drawing blood freely. Closing fast, the big man swung an uppercut with his unarmed fist. Manu twisted away as it glanced across his cheekbone. Another punching stab from the katara. Manu spun in close, back to the attacker, guiding his enemy's wrist past him, 
with the edge of a stiffened palm and delivering a backward elbow strike with the other arm deep into the big man's solar plexus. The grunt of pain burst past his ear. The big man grabbed Manu in a bear hug, crushing his rib cage and forcing the air from his lungs. Manu struggled ineffectually against the greater strength of the big man's powerful arms, feeling his old rib injury flare up and jab at him. He swung his head back as hard as he could. Hearing the crunch of impact against nose arch and feeling the satisfactorily hot rush of his enemy's blood running down the back of his neck. The strangling hold slacked and he stamped his heel into the arch of his captor's foot. Another grunt of pain in his ear. Then he broke free and took two quick steps away before turning and facing his opponent again. The big man had his free hand to his nose. He wiped away the blood which matted in his beard, then looked down at his dripping hand. I was going to make it quick for you before. Now I'm going to take my time. His voice was nasal and distorted. Well, you tore my new tunic. Want to call it even? The big man leapt forward with a roar, swinging the katara in a wide roundhouse punch. Manu rolled forward, hooking one leg inside the oncoming arm and battering his shoulder against the inside of his enemy's knee. The big man went down heavily on his shoulder. Manu locked his ankles together and jerked the weapon hand hard with his legs against the pressured shoulder. There was a wet crack and the big man roared and swore. Manu rolled off him and kicked the discarded katara away. The big man staggered to his feet, his right arm hanging loosely, dislocated at his side. You still want to do this? The big man snatched a knife from his belt with his left hand and jumped forward, slashing wildly. Manu flipped away, onto his hands, then up again. He spun like a dancer and drove the katara through the side of the big man's skull, bone cracking loudly, the tip emerging on the other side of his head. There was a small amount of blood mixed in with a clear fluid and a grey jelly. The big body thumped onto the ground when Manu pulled the blade free. He examined the long triangular blade emerging from the end of his fist and gave it an approving nod. The blade wiped clean easily enough against the dead man's clothes and the thief appropriated the sheath. One more of Simak's lackeys out of the picture. Manu wondered how many would have followed the traitor with any degree of faith, or if all their loyalties had been bought. His hand went to his side and came away dripping with blood. As the throb of adrenaline in his ears subsided and the red tinge to his vision faded, the pain from the long gash took the lead voice in a symphony of suffering.
and the racking ache fire returned to join the choir. He raised the tattered edge of his tunic and winced at the messy tear in his flank. It would need stitches, and soon. The thief limped down to the warehouse district, and despite circling back on his route several times and hiding in blind alleys for minutes at a time, saw no one else following him. With a last glance behind him and one hand still pressed against his side, Manu stepped up to the levers at the door of the old man's house and knocked three times. After a minute, he heard muffled grumbling, then the machinery turning. An inch-wide panel opened in the door. A sliding hatch and a telescope rod slid out. It wiggled in his direction, and Manu thought the glass on the end looked very much like a staring fish. The rod retracted, and the little hatch slid closed. The muffled grumbling started again. Then one by one, the levers moved and the door creaked open. Well, don't hang around in the street where anyone can see you. Come on in. Manu stepped into the whirring and whistling clock workshop, surprised by how reassured the cacophony now made him feel after only spending a single night asleep to their song. He shut the door and followed the old man back to his living quarters, where a pale-faced June stared at the bloody mess Manu's hand was failing to adequately cover. You look in quite a mess. I expect you want bandages and water, said Vashir. And a sewing thread, if you have any. Vashir grunted flatly as he filled a bowl with water, rattling and spilling a few drops as the old man's fingers slipped their poor grasp. He put it on the ground beside the cross-legged thief, then brought a sheet of plain cloth which Manu tore into strips. From one of his two boxes, the old man also produced a spool of silk thread. Do you have any more of that excellent wine, old man? The next bit will sting a bit. Another grunt from Vashir that was followed by a low whistle as Manu squirmed out of his torn tunic, sodden with coagulating gore, and attempted to examine the wound in his side, twisting and turning gingerly, trying to see better. He sniffed then beckoned over the unusually cowed June. Manu dabbed at the scored flesh with a damp piece of cloth, then took the bottle offered by the old man and pulled the cork out with his teeth. He drank half the bottle in two long drags, let out a sigh and smacked his lips. Suitably fortified, he pulled a bone needle from a secret place in his belt threaded it and took a deep breath. The boy's face twisted with revulsion as Manu held the needle out to him and he realised what was expected of him, but eventually took it after earning a warning snarl at his reluctance. You wanted to learn some tricks? Well, this one is just like darning socks.
get stitching. First, with trembling fingers that settled themselves after a warning slap to the side of his head, June began to stitch the wound up. Each penetration made Manu hiss or wince, and he gritted his teeth and growled his way through it. The last of it done, Jum snapped off the thread, tossed the needle in the water bowl, and Manu resumed working his way through the bottle of wine. The old man brought him a round clay pot with a checkered cloth bound tightly over the top. Rub that on the wound. It will seal it and keep maggots out of it. The thief opened the pot and sniffed the white creamy contents. Smells pretty good. What is it? Goose fat. Expensive. Delicious. Lubricating. And versatile. The thief shrugged and daubed it onto his stitches, then pressed a pad across the sewn flash and wrapped strips of cloth around his abdomen until he was safely bandaged. A little blood seeped through the white cloth, but the flow had stopped. The loss of blood and the wine were making the thief feel very light-headed. He dabbed at his face with another scrap of wet cloth freeing his matted hair. His forehead felt tender, but the cut had sealed itself. June was still kneeling there, swaying slightly, and his pale cheeks were looking greener with every passing moment. Kid, go outside and get some air. If I live through the night, I'll thank you tomorrow. Hey, can I sleep here tonight, old man? I've got soldiers after me, and the whole of the damned thieves' guild as well. As long as you didn't bring them to my door, it's all the same to me. I heard you'd been taken by the Sultan's men. How did you get out of that one? It wasn't the Sultan's men. It was the Grand Vizier's. The old man's face tense, and his lip rose in a snarl. Go on. Seems to me he's in charge up there. All the guards answer to him. The old man nodded. They took me to Arshan none too gently. Manu indicated the bloody bruise on his forehead. Then they strapped me to a torture table to get my attention. Did it work? The thief laughed and nodded his head. Pain will do that to a man. Sure, I was paying attention. What did he want? First of all, he wanted to find out if I was some kind of spy for Nineveh. But I managed to convince him of the truth, that I'm just a common thief. Get to the point. He had a proposition for me. Kill the Sultan on the day of his choosing and he will arrange my promotion to King of the Thieves. He said we'd split the city between us. That scoundrel! How does he think he will get away with it? That's the gem I stole away with this time. He claims he poisoned the old sultan to move the boy up to the throne and to guarantee his advancement as a boy's advisor. His 
evil knows no bounds. The old man's whole body shook and the veins in his scrawny neck throbbed. You're taking this a bit personally. Something you haven't told me? The old man closed his eyes and breathed deeply. I can't say the old sultan was a good man. You can find faults easily enough with anyone. And he had too much of a liking for war. That said, he dealt fairly with those around him. And the common people were not mistreated. Do you miss him? Vashir shrugged. Old people always say things used to be better when they were young, but it is hard not to see how bad things have become. I feel the betrayal more because it was after the Sultan's death and the elevation of Arshon that he ordered me to develop war machines and torture devices. He knew my toys were brilliant and wanted me as a weapon maker. But you refused. Yes, and as you can see, I've been his guest in the playroom as well as you. The old man held up his ruined hands, twitching his broken fingers. It was that bastard Arshon. He tortured me when I refused to make him war machines instead of my toys. He shattered every one of my fingers and understood this. He did it all personally. You cannot trust him. Please believe me. He will use you exactly as he sees fit and not necessarily as he tells you. You may already be an unwitting tool. He is devious and as clever as you think you are. It is foolish to think you know all in his mind. I've seen how he works. And even now it bothers me why he has told you so much. The thief looked into the old man's eyes. They were narrowed. His chin was set determinedly. Manu felt a twinge of guilt. Every option he considered was weighed by the benefit it brought him. He never thought about the cost to other people. The Grand Vizier's offer was tempting because it would bring him power and wealth in such a short time. He hadn't stopped to think whether Arshan would actually make good on his promise. Thinking now, he saw little reason for the Grand Vizier to do anything other than betray him once he had killed the Sultan. For the first time, Manu imagined what life in the city would be like under Arshan's rule. The Grand Vizier thought nothing of slamming two cities together in a brutal war just to advance his position. The thief shivered. Would you want to help if I had a plan to bring him down? The old man grinned. I'd help if you had a plan to tweak his beard. What are you thinking about? Manu pursed his lips and stared at the shaft of light coming in from the high windows of the clock workshop. I don't have a plan yet, but when I'm planning a job, I work backward. I think about how I'll spend my loot. 
That motivates me to think about how I'll escape, how I'll do the deed, then how I'll get there. You've broken into the palace before and lived to tell the tale. The thief scratched his chin. Yeah, but the 1,000 aren't stupid. I know they'll have put in new defences that would stop me doing the same trick. No second flight for my eagle kite then? The thief chuckled. No, that was a one-time escapade. Fun as that was, I'll need something new. The old man rocked back on his haunches and scratched his head with a hooked finger as he stared blankly at the whirring cogs of his great machine. I remember seeing plans for something when I was a youth studying my craft. My master was rough and impatient and would beat me if I was too slow or I broke a tool. He was a genius, though, and would spend hours explaining his fantastic dreams and drafted out plans to make them reality. I think I never reached his skill in the wide possibilities of this craft, as I spent so many decades making toys for the old sultan. Ah, so many memories. Enough of the childhood stories, old man. The plans for what? The old man rocked his head slowly from side to side as he dug through memories of his apprenticeship. A dreamy smile formed on his face. My master's papers. They never let me look at them after he died. They were placed under lock and key in the Sultan's private library. A library? That should be a simple job to retrieve them. You don't understand. The Sultan's library is a trove of the wisdom of centuries from all across the world. It is a secret knowledge of incalculable value and has a corresponding security. You just as easily gain access to the treasure vaults themselves. The library is in the palace? No, no. The library is in the state buildings and is part of the most closely guarded buildings of the treasury and the coin presses. I assure you thieves try to penetrate it every year. Young foxes like yourself, they all end up hanging by the neck in the square. Manu stroked his chin as he considered this. Someone has to be able to go in and out of the treasury. They take in taxes. They take out gold as well. The old man raised an eyebrow. You think you can do it? I need to visit it to see what can be done. That does present a problem, though, with the Sultan's guards looking for me after the assassination. I can't hide here forever. Either Simak's thieves will find me, or the Sultan's men will. Listen, old man, I've never imagined that I'd live forever, but right now it's looking like an even shorter life than I'd bargained for. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. 
Copyright 2020, Dirush Pasiti and Victor Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.